it's been called by some the, the greatest chapter in all the Bible. Uh, I don't know how you really distinguish that, but it is definitely a chapter that is, is, is rich and deep. And uh, Last week we covered um, verses 12, 13, and 14, and we were talking about some practical ways in which we can fight sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this letter that Paul writes to the Roman church, he, um, maybe more than any other letter, he really hammers home the idea of, or, or just talks about the, the battle that wages inside of us between the, the flesh and our sin nature versus the Holy Spirit that is indwelling in all believers. And, um, and, and so you, obviously, because of that battle, um, one of the things that you see him referencing a lot is the Holy Spirit, and it's one of the reasons, honestly, that I love the book of Romans so much is because it's, you, you hear Romans talk about it's, it's a doctrinal letter, which means it's full of teaching, which is which is awesome. It's a good way for us to teach and know the Word of God, but it's also just super practical in terms of, like, a practical application to life, and we've, we've seen that the last few weeks, and hopefully we'll see it again as we get into uh, further in this book. So, um, we're going to be going in the next three verses in Romans 8, but I want to backtrack just a bit to the last verse we covered um, last week, last verse for last week, which is verse 14, because it's very foundational to what we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to read uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, just, just group them all together, even though I know we kind of covered 14 a little bit last week. So in uh, starting in Romans 8, uh, verse 14, it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So I want to backtrack to verse 14, which is the first one we just read this morning. And it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And last week we closed talking about the, the assurance that this verse alone gives to believers because it lets us know that our belonging to God's family, is, it's not based on our obedience. Because we know that's going to fail and it's going to falter. But it is based on our adoption as sons of God through the Holy Spirit's presence and guidance in our life. So we are adopted into God's family, not based on our own merit, but because of God's uh, merit of adopting us into his family. Paul, in, in writing to the believers in Galatia, he also said the same thing, but in a different way. And this is, you don't have to turn there, I got it up on the screen, but in Galatians chapter 5, Listen to what he says about the, the Holy Spirit being adopted and, and walking in the Spirit. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See, that sounds familiar, right? Sounds like what we've been talking about in Romans. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do are the things I do. That's what Paul said in Romans 7. So simply put, walking in the Spirit 
is, is simply a way for your life to look more and more and more like Jesus. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And if you're a believer, we are to be walking in the Spirit on a continual basis. Now, this is a gradual process, and it will have a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. It's going to have those mountaintops, and it's going to have those valleys. Uh, but the whole, the whole walk will eventually lead to us looking more and more like Jesus if we are walking by the Spirit. So we need to understand verse 14 because of the, the assurance and the direction it brings because that leads us right into the next verse, which sounds very similar to 14. Look at verse uh, 15. So reading 14 again with 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here, and I want to start with that phrase that we see in both verses, and that is adoption as sons. Now, to fully understand what Paul's communicating with that phrase, we have to understand culturally the context of what he's talking about. Now, there's something that's similar to Paul's culture as it is similar to our culture, and that is adoption is always, when you think about adoption in Paul's culture and in our culture, we always think of words like there's, there's grace in that and there's mercy in that, there's love, there's intimacy. Those things are, are true in both cultures, okay? So we want to, that's why one, one reason that adoption is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. I mean, we are adopted. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have been adopted into his family. And so there is no more clearer picture that we have physically uh, of salvation and of the gospel than adoption. And that was true in, bo in both cultures. But to have a true appreciation of what, what Paul is saying here when he says adoption as sons, this is where we have to have the cultural context that he was referring to. And um, I, I was reading this past week, and I came across uh, a really great, a great um, kind of teaching. Uh, some of you may have heard of uh, author, pastor, Dr. Tim Keller. Um, if you haven't, his books are awesome. His sermons are awesome. Um, based out of New York, I believe. Anyway, I wanted to share with you his words about these verses because as he was expounding upon them, he came across something that he, I mean, he had never thought of and, and I had never thought of either. So I got his words up here on the screen. I'm just going to um, read through his, his quote here. And it's specifically about the adoption of sons. He says, some people are put off by Paul's language of adoption because it's gender insensitive. They argue, well, wouldn't it be better to say that we become sons and daughters of God? It would, but that misses the whole point. Some time ago, a woman helped me to understand this. She was raised in a non-Western family from a very traditional culture. There was only one son in the family, and it was understood in her culture that he would receive most of the family's provisions and honor. So in essence, they said, he's the son, you're just a girl, and that's just the way it was. And one day, she was studying a passage on adoption in Paul's writings, and she suddenly realized that the apostle was making a revolutionary claim. Paul lived in a traditional culture, culture just like the one she did. He was living in a place where daughters were second-class citizens. And when Paul said, out of his own traditional culture, that we are all sons in Christ, he was saying that there are no second-class citizens in God's family. 
So when you give your life to Christ and you become a Christian, you receive all the benefits of a son enjoys in traditional culture. As a white male, I've never been excluded like that. As a result, I did not see the sweetness of this welcome. I didn't recognize all the beauty of God's subversive and revolutionary promise that raises us to the highest honor by adopting us as his sons. And Keller continues, our adoption means we are loved like Christ is loved. We are honored like he is honored. Every one of us, no matter what. Your circumstances cannot hinder or threaten that promise. In fact, your bad circumstances will only help you understand and even claim the beauty of that promise. The more you live out who you are in Christ, the more you become like him in actuality. Paul is not promising you better life circumstances. He is promising you a far better life. He's promising you a life of greatness. He's promising you a life of joy. He's promising you a life of humility. He's promising you a life of nobility. He's promising you a life that goes on forever. What a, what a cool perspective to understand these verses from, from a lady that was raised in a, in a culture very different than American culture, but very much like Paul's culture. And I'm not, just like Dr. Keller here, I'm not sure I've understood that to mean what this lady said, wow, that means there's there's not a class A Christian and a class B Christian. There's not the first class and the second class and the third class. She understood what that meant because she knew that as having a brother in her culture that he was going to receive all and she would receive none even though they were both in the family. And what Paul is saying is no, there is no distinction. Is We are all in adopted as sons. We are all receiving the highest honor that Christ could give us and I love that last part of what he says there he says your circumstances listen to what this I read this quickly but your circumstances cannot hinder or threaten that promise okay and in, in fact he says your bad circumstances will only help you understand and even claim the beauty of that promise Paul is not promising you better life circumstances He's promising you a far better life. So understand what Dr. Keller is saying there and what ultimately he's pointing to what Paul is saying is he's not, it doesn't change based on your circumstances. Matter of fact, the worse your circumstances are, in other words, being a female in a traditional culture where they were second-class citizens, that even raises you even more. That's the beauty of the promise even more. And Paul is not offering you He's not saying your life's going to be better and you're going to get every job and you're going to land every opportunity and your life's going to be blessed. He didn't, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, I'm offering you a better life, not better life circumstances. Those are very different, different things. And I'm going to expound on that a little bit more as we, we dig into this passage because I think for us, a lot of times we think better life circumstances equals better life. Not true. It's what the world would say. You, you know, more money, less problems, then better life. That's not what the Bible says. Actually, that's not what our soul says. Even in our minds, we know that not to be true, yet it plays out all the time, every day in our culture. But I don't want to overlook the last few words of verse 15 because they're very significant as well because they tie directly with the first part of 15. So if you, if you look at verse 15, it says, For you did not... 
received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, what is that that term Abba? If you have a study Bible or you, you've read anything about that, you know that Abba is a very informal Aramaic term um, that conveys the, the idea of what would be similar to our saying Daddy or, or Papa, something like that. It's there's a there's a phrase in in every culture, and I was reading this this week, and I forgot where I read it. But in every language and in every culture, there is a small kind of really simple phrasing that refers to Mama, Dada, uh, Daddy, Mommy, and in every culture it has it, and it's really really simple because usually that's the first words that whatever the kid that's learning whatever language they're learning, that's the first words that come out, and so Abba would be like almost like a like a uh, a very informal way of saying father but what it does carry with it is a couple of things it carries intimacy it carries dependency and it also carries with it this idea of when i'm with abba when i'm with my father there is a complete lack of fear and a complete lack of anxiety and so what paul is saying here is that because of our adoption as sons, we have the privilege of crying out and addressing God as our father, as our daddy, as our papa, whatever you want to call it, but whatever it is, it's on a personal, intimate level. Okay, now this is so, so huge. Because what this level of intimacy does is that it releases us from the spirit of slavery and the spirit of fear that Paul mentions in the first part of verse 15. See, we are totally freed from the fear and anxiety of life that naturally grips and rips our hearts and minds. Anybody in here struggle with fear? Boom, I do. Anybody in here struggle with anxiety? Boom, I do. I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't. I know, well, I do know a few people, and they're just kind of out there. Like, they don't struggle with anything. So I'm not sure that's a, they're good examples. But we all, at our core, we struggle with fear. We all, at our core, struggle with anxiety. And what Paul is saying is that you have been adopted and you have been freed from the slavery of fear and the slavery of anxiety. And so, therefore, what he's saying is that we no longer have to be fearful of the future, where you lay awake at night and you're thinking, I don't know what's going to happen next week. And we no longer have to be worried about the present circumstances where things in your job or things at school might not be well, that's okay. We don't have to be worried about that. And best of all, we don't have to worry as believers in Jesus about facing condemnation for all the things in our past. Like if I lay awake at night, God, what are you gonna what am I gonna face because of what I've done? What I've done today, what I did last year. I don't have to face that. I've been freed from the slavery of fear. And the slavery of anxiety. I love what Pastor J.D. Greer says. He says, we're not slaves who need to be afraid. We're sons who stand secure. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's saying. We're not slaves who need to be afraid. We are sons who stand secure. Not because of us, but because of Jesus and the adoption that we've experienced into the family of God. So the reality is, and, and you guys know this, and I could be talking uh, at, in, a, in a school or in a business. I can talk to any, any group anywhere. And the reality is, at the core of who we are, believer, non-believer, whatever culture, is that everybody, 
is searching for some kind of security, some kind of assurance. They're searching for peace. They're searching for intimacy. Now, a person may not be willing to say that. I know a lot of guys that would say, I don't, I don't need that in my life. Really? I mean, deep down, you do. You need peace. You need, you need that intimacy with someone else, whether it be a family member, a spouse, a son or daughter. You need that intimacy. And, and you're, you're looking for peace. You just want to be able at night to lay your head down on the pillow and say, you know what? My mind is, is, is turned off. I can relax. I'm free from slavery of fear and slavery of anxiety. And, and regardless of a person's religious beliefs or even if they have religious beliefs at all, at the very, very core of who we are, we are deeply longing for that, for peace to be in our soul, to not have anxiety, to feel protected, to not feel fear. Let me give you a real physical example of what I'm talking about. And it happened in my life this past uh, Monday night. Um, if you know me, you know Speaking to Y'all, that I love sports. I love talking about sports, watching sports, playing sports, whatever. That's just, I grew up doing it, and it's just a huge part of what somebody asked me your hobby. That's my hobby. Go out of sport, I'll watch it. Go out of sport, I'll try to play it. Whatever. It's just, I enjoy it. And uh, this past Monday night, um, I do what I do on Monday nights. After the kids go to bed, women get to bed, I'm going to be watching Monday night football. That's what I do. I don't care who's playing. This past Monday night, I can't even remember who was playing now, but it was an awesome game. Um, so I wanted to promote Monday Night Football in case you're interested in, in what you should be doing Monday night. But anyway, I was um, I was up watching Monday Night Football, and um, the game was great. I remember it going back and forth, and it went to overtime, and I was excited on the kick at the end of overtime. But anyway, it was on super late, and um, I was in our office uh, where we have a TV set up, and I was just in there. Everybody was asleep, and um, I guess it was, it was probably 12, 12.15. I don't know what time the game was over. But um, I, at, at some point, the game wasn't quite over. It was during the second half, maybe overtime. I was sitting there, and I was watching the game. And then uh, from the direction of my kid's bedroom, I see my daughter walking around the corner coming into the office. And she's got her blanket with her. And she comes in there, and she, she crawls up in my lap. And I said, hey, honey, how are you? Uh, and um, she, she, she got up in my lap, and I And she had her head buried down in the blanket. She was still half asleep. And she kind of whispered something in my ear. And, and basically what she said is she said that she had had a really bad dream and she was really scared. And so at that moment, I got to do what is, if you've been a parent for any length of time, what is one of the greatest things that we have the opportunity to do as parents. And I just got to wrap my arms around her and hold her and tell her that everything's going to be okay. And that she didn't have to be scared. And I didn't say much. I, I, that's probably all I said was three or four sentences. And just wrapped her in my arms and had her blanket. And it was almost like instantly she fell right back asleep. She fell, I mean, into that deep sleep. That sleep that, like, you just want. Like, you don't get when you're kids. But that deep, deep sleep. And, 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 and it reminded me of Romans 8.15. But if you go back to that, what does he say? He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption. Adoption, son, daughter, you cry, Abba, Father. And, and God reminded me of the protection and comfort he offers to us. 
because he's freed us from fear and anxiety. Because he knows, or we know, he holds us and our past and our present and our future in his arms. And it was just like Meryl crawling up into my lap after her bad dream. Because of the intimacy I share with my daughter as her father, she found peace and protection and comfort through me. And it was obvious that she found that because here she was, had a bad dream enough to wake her up and make her scared, but within three minutes, she was right back asleep. And see, that's, that's because she knew with me she was safe. She had the, the relationship. She had the comfort. She had, there was no fear. There was no anxiety. She was right back asleep. And see, that's the exact same way it is or it should be with us and our Heavenly Father. How much more? Can our Heavenly Father provide us, His children, with unending peace, unending protection, unending fear of ex- and anxiety? Paul, Paul is saying here that it's by the Holy Spirit, that's what sealed us, that we have received the intimacy and freedom. you got to have both. There has to be that intimacy there with God. If, if I didn't know Meryl, and Meryl finds some guy in her house watching Monday Night Football in the office, and she comes walking around the corner and just sees some guy, do you think that interaction happens? No. She's going to be even more terrified. First of all, why are you in my house? Second of all, why are you watching Monday Night Football? And third, I'm not, I'm scared to death, and now I'm even more scared because you're in my house. So it's because of that relationship that we have, but then also know that that relationship frees us from having to worry and having to, to, to be scared and having to be fearful. And so what God has assured us through the promises of the Bible is that, number one, we are loved, and number two, we are protected by Him and through Him, and that most of all, something we need to understand very clearly is that we are His. One of my favorite things that Jesus said, or one of the things that in Scripture that He says, one of my favorite things He said in Scripture is in John chapter 10, and He said, in John 10, that my sheep, excuse me, my sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I follow them, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Did y'all hear what Jesus said? He said, I know them. I give them eternal life. Nobody takes them from me. Do you want to talk about assurance and peace? And protection and comfort. I mean, that's that's where it starts. It, re- it reminds me uh, of a scene. Another big thing going on right now in the culture is that Disney Plus, right? You know, I don't know, that's everybody subscribe to that. Somebody they probably all of you have. Um, anyway, it's it's just it's awesome. I guess if you if you haven't, you probably should or you will. Um, but one of the things it just reminded me of was a actual a Disney movie. And one I'm sure a lot of you've seen, and it's uh, the the original Toy Story. I think they're up to Toy Story number four, I think or four, man. I don't know, actually. But I'm talking about the first one, and it came out several years ago. And I want to show you a, a clip uh, from the original Toy Story. Most of you have seen it before, but this clip goes really, really good with Romans 8. So let me, let me show you that clip. There's a bunch of stuff there, but... The one thing I really want to key in on here is the incredible biblical truth in this movie that God loves us and cherishes us not because of your job, 
not because of your talents, not because of all the good things you can do for him. God simply loves you because you are his. Did you hear that? He said it's not because you're a space ranger. It's not because of your awesome. And he, he does talk, he does build up buzz, obviously. But he said it's because you are his. Talking about Andy. And I, and I love I love that point that we saw in the clip where he looks on the bottom of his shoe and he sees the words Andy written on his shoe. And see, this is exactly, I mean, you want to talk about biblical truth, it's, it's right here. The same reason that Andy loved his Buzz Lightyear toy, to go to the lengths to write his name on Buzz Lightyear's foot, it's the same reason that God loves us, that he's written his name on our hearts. See, don't, don't ever fall into the trap of the enemy. And, I've, and I know this happens, because it happens in my life. Don't fall into the trap of the enemy where he tries to associate your value based on your profession or based on your talent or based on your relationships or even based on your obedience. See, you have immeasurably, absolute, eternal, just unfathomable value for one reason. And it's because of the same reason Andy did when he looked up in his shoe or when Buzz and he saw Andy. It's like looking down at your heart and you see the Holy Spirit has created you. That's why you have value, because you are his. And the Holy Spirit testifies to that truth. And that's exactly what the next verse in Romans 8 that we're looking at today says. Look at what that next, actually the next couple of verses say. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that what? We are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says here that the Holy Spirit bears witness that we are indeed children of God. Now that's some legit assurance, legit assurance and security. But then Paul adds another layer on top of that great truth in verse 17. He says, not only are you his, he said, if children, then you're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is just one of the many reasons that the idea of adoption into God's family is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Because just like in physical adoption, with spiritual adoption, all that belongs to the adoptive parent becomes the possession of the children who are being adopted. And just like with physical adoption in most cases, that relationship is so strong and so intimate and so permanent, guess what? That that child takes that parent's name. And if you bear the name of Christ, if you believe the name of Christ, you have taken on his name. That's why we call ourselves Christians. It is an absolute mind-boggling thought to, to, to realize what Paul's saying here in this verse, that we are co-heirs with Jesus because we've been adopted into his family as sons. That's, that's crazy. I mean, that's mind-boggling stuff. But do notice one detail about verse 17 as we close, and it's the last part of that verse. We can't just skip over it. I know we'd like to skip over it, but it's in there. And in verse 17, it says, If children and heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, and here's the part that's not so great, maybe, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You've got to understand, I have to understand, that sufferings and trials come with following Jesus. Now, is it all worth it? Absolutely. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, I mean, there's nothing on this earth that can match those differences. 
but the true gospel is not a prosperity gospel for us to necessarily enjoy the comfort and the riches of this life. The true and the lasting prosperity that we're promised is reserved for the believer for all of eternity in the presence of Jesus. As the leaders, we've got to take notice of these last words in verse 17. I'd love to skip over them like they're not there, but they're there. And what that tells me is they're there because we will have trials, and we will have difficult circumstances, and we will go through storms. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? I mean, he said it real bluntly in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So guys, don't, don't, don't be deceived here. We're not going to have it easy. The world has hated me and the world will hate you. So don't, don't be deceived into thinking that following Jesus equates to comfort in this life. Yet, we can take great hope in our future that God's going to use the trials and the storms and the suffering to further equip us and further help us to grow closer to be more and more like him. I wanted to close today with a, with a video, uh, or actually an interview that I watched this past week. I'm only going to show you just a clip of it. Uh, where these truths about suffering were on full display in the testimony of the man who was speaking. Uh, I just want to show you this as we close. This was, this was a press conference, I believe it was held Wednesday, uh, down in Jacksonville, Florida. And reporters were down there interviewing uh, the NFL's Jacksonville Jaguars uh, starting quarterback, Nick Foles. Uh, I don't know if you know who Nick, Nick Foles is. That's a picture of Nick Foles. But uh, Nick Foles, uh, if you watched the Super Bowl last year, he led the Philadelphia Eagles to a Super Bowl vic victory. He was named the Super Bowl's most valuable player. Uh, and then during the offseason, which was just this past summer, uh, Foles signed this new deal to become the starting quarterback down in Jacksonville for the Jaguars. And, um, but during the very first game of the season, back in September, he goes out, he's a starting quarterback, and he gets hit. He breaks his collarbone, and it prevents him from being able to, to play. Um, but he's been recovering since, I guess, the first or second Sunday in, in September. But his injury now has healed. And so this afternoon, in about an hour or two, about 1 o'clock, Nick Foles is slated to start his first NFL game since that injury. Uh, the Jaguars, who played the Indianapolis Colts. And so this past Wednesday down in Jacksonville, reporters gathered to ask Foles a, a lot of questions. And Foles has always been very outspoken about his uh, faith in Jesus, about walking with Christ. And they, they were there to ask him about returning to the field, returning, uh, you know, playing from this injury. Are you really fully healed? Are you ready to play? And, and one reporter specifically asked him if he had any doubts about himself. During this, this recovery period of this broken bone, did you have any doubts that you might never play football again? Did you have any doubts that you might not be very good? Did you have any doubts that you could come back and take over the starting job? If you follow the Jaguars at all, you know that the backup quarterback, Gardner Minshew, he came in, he played exceptionally well, and everybody's like, oh, we don't even need this Nick Foles guy anymore. So he, he got put back in like, we don't even know who he is anymore. So now he's put back in the lineup. He's supposed to start today. But I want you to listen to Nick Foles' response to this reporter's question. And listen to what he says, especially in light of Romans 8, 17, the verse we just read about the, the suffering and the things that Jesus would, that would come. So the reporter asked the question, and here's, here's Nick Foles' response to it. 
see some of you there, and I, and I love the last part. It makes sense when you get to the pick up truth there. He said, I don't believe in prosperity gospel. I believe if you read the word of God and you understand it, there's trials along the way, but they equip your heart to be who you are. I mean, what an accurate statement about the word of God and the trials that come our way. We can take incredible, incredible assurance and security this morning because we are in Christ and we've been adopted into the family of God, knowing that Jesus doesn't, like like this Paul said, Jesus doesn't guarantee comfort in this life. Matter of fact, he said the opposite of what I said. And yet, through those trials and through those storms, and it might be a physical injury like you experienced or whatever it might be, he provides for us right now those opportunities to learn and to grow and to be more like Jesus through the trials and through the storms we experience. And so as we, as we wrap up this morning, I would just would like to encourage you to see what Romans 8, 15, 16, 17 say, and that is that we have a heavenly Father that has overcome the world. And we can take great, great victory and assurance in that. He's given us the spirit of adoption as sons. Go back and read what Dr. Keller said there about that, that lady that was deceived, what that means. Adoption as sons, not the spirit of fear as slaves. And we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa, whatever it is. And we know that he not only hears us, but he loves us beyond measure. He's written his name on our hearts. I'm going to ask the, the band to come. We're going to close this. But if you leave with anything today, leave with victory and leave with assurance. Not that your life circumstances are going to get better. They probably won't. They might get worse. That's what Jesus said. But that your life, what Jesus is offering is life that is better. Those two things are very, very different. Lord, I thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for, for, for men and women like Miss Cole to, to, to publicly step up in a public forum and not be afraid to claim your name and to claim your word. Lord, I thank you for little things we can learn, uh, even in, in Disney movies, because it relates back to your word. But, Lord, I pray that everything that we see in, in the entertainment world, in the sports world, we would always go back to your word and, and, and run everything through the lens of, of your word. And that's why I'm so thankful for Romans 8, Lord. What a, what a cool and amazing chapter that you have given us the spirit of adoption as sons. And, Lord, I know that everybody in this room, people that will listen to this podcast later or online, that everybody struggles with fear. Everybody struggles with anxiety on, on some level. And, Lord, yet you've freed us from that. And so those are just tactics and, and ploys by the enemy to, to rid us of victory and rid us of hope and rid us of a future. And the victory's already been won. You've already won that. And I pray that we would be reminded of that. That who we serve and who we are with the name written on our heart. It's not our name, but it's your name. That you have sealed us and that we have incredible value because we are yours. Lord, and, and whatever we may face this week, I, I fully understand that the, that the trials and the storms and the valleys of life, they may get deeper this week. And, and that's okay because those are opportunities you've given us to learn and to grow. May we not run from every little problem we have. May we see it as an opportunity to learn, to grow, to have that intimacy with you 
to be able to, for lack of a better term, just to crawl up in your lap, just like Meryl did with me Monday night, and just be held by you, knowing that you have our circumstances under control. We just have to believe that in our heart. You're never out of control. Nothing ever catches you off guard. You're never surprised by circumstances. May we take rest and assurance and peace 